Revelation chapter 10. Well, let's go ahead and read Revelation chapter 1 1 as introduction. This is the revelation, the apocalypto, the apocalypse, the unveiling, the pulling back of the veil, not a veiling. So, this isn't intended to make things harder to understand. The book of Revelation is intended to actually give you a glimpse of what's going on behind the veil. Um, the veil of this world as we see the spiritual reality that's taking place behind all these things. And it's the unveiling, the revealing of Jesus Christ. So that can be taken in two ways. We're learning more about him, but it's also from him. So this is what Jesus Christ is revealing to his people, for his people. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. For the time is near. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that... By your spirit, you apply these things to our lives to help us understand the gospel more and to become more like Jesus Christ. So we do pray for that this morning. And if there are those who hear who have not faith, we pray that faith would come by hearing. And we know that your word will accomplish what it's intended to accomplish. It will, as the Puritans say, the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. So we would pray that our ice would be melted and that there would, those, there would not be a further hardening of those who hear, but that they would come to you. And we pray your blessing upon your word preached and heard this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in the Revelation chapter 10, we read the word of the Lord. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. And his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. And when he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. But that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the Lord that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again. The voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. The word of the Lord. So as, again, book of Revelation, it is apocalyptic literature, 
by definition, it has symbols and, uh, you know, it's not the only thing written in apocalyptic literature. It's not the only apocalyptic literature in the Bible. It's not the only apocalyptic literature. The Bible, outside of the Bible, are other writings of this genre. And in that genre, you use these beast, uh, dragons with ten heads, all these sorts of things. But there has to be some key to understanding, else anybody can take any symbol and mean anything they want to mean. And that's what we see happening oftentimes with the book of Revelation, or that people have in their minds things that they believe to be true about end times or whatever, and they just, they, here's a perfect place to go in the Bible where you can make your symbols, your imagery fit whatever it is you want it to. And so we want to be very careful to do that, because if we do that anywhere else in the Bible, it's called isogesis, which means you're reading stuff into it, and we want to exegete it. We want to bring what's there out. And so to know what God intends by these things, he has to have told us somewhere in his word. And so what we've seen and we'll continue to see is uh, much of the, if not all of the imagery that we see, you can find it in the prophets. You can find it in the Old Testament. So if you knew your Old Testament well, these things aren't as crazy as they seem, and they, they begin to make a lot more sense. So we will see this today. So by way of review and context, and I'll try to do this as quickly as we can, but you kind of need to get the whole thing in your head to understand what's going on with Revelation. In Revelation 1, Jesus is walking among the churches. They're seen as lampstands. He has the stars, the tops of these, the candlesticks in his hand. He, it, these are the represent, they're literal churches that he's using as representative figures of the entire church throughout the church age. And Jesus walks among the churches. And that's key and that's pivotal and that's what we need to understand. We have obligation to to um, shine Christ's light into the world. It's our purpose. And he says, if you're not doing that, if you follow false gods, if you're not shining as brightly as you should, I'll remove your candlestick. So there have been entire... But here's the thing. It doesn't mean there's not going to be a church somewhere that calls itself a church. But we'll read here, you know, too. I stand at the door and knock. There are some churches where the Holy Spirit left a long time ago. I've heard someone say, some churches are so loud in their worship, the Holy Spirit left a long time ago and nobody's noticed. And so we have to be very careful about that because you can do the same thing with liturgy, you can do it with tradition, you can do it with all sorts of things. Anything that becomes more important in your worship other than the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, anything that eclipses that emotionalism or whatever, you can have your lampstand removed. There's a warning from Jesus Christ who says, I will build my church. And so if we're not helping with that or getting in the way of that, then you know he's not somebody that you want to be in the way of we want to be <laughs> and we all won't desire this so he tells us then he who conquers i will grant to he basically says through the letters of seven churches he who conquers that's the nikeo word that we talked about he who is victorious i will grant to be with me in heaven forever i will give myself to him and how did we conquer by remaining faithful what is the victory faith Faith is the victory which has overcome the world. So the book of Revelation is primarily, and it's interesting, it's primarily about a few different things, but it is primarily about the glory of God, the power of Jesus Christ, and the fact that as the church, you will go through trials and tribulations. You will go through persecutions. You don't know the difficulties and the hard times as individual Christians will go through, as the church in the United States we may go through, or other churches in other parts of the world and other parts of the time. What difficult things they may go through and so God has not left us without a word to tell us 
Let me tell you what's really going on. Because what the world wants to tell you is, as Dr. Malcolm said this morning, um, Satan is powerful, the church is weak. Um, the government will tell us that. And we have to be careful of these things. We need to recognize and understand the power of the gospel, the power of the church. You are in it, the primary institution which God has placed on this earth for the, his greatest purposes. The government is instituted by God to just restrain evil, to promote good, to kind of keep the chaotic forces at bay. But what we'll see in Revelation is you don't think evil forces are going to try to take control of those things and start to use government in evil ways? And if the government is only a little bit important and the church is of ultimate importance, Satan's going to try to take over the churches. So you have to be very careful and ask yourself, if Satan were preaching the gospel, what would it sound like? If Satan were preaching from the book of Revelation, what would he say it is? So we have to be very careful to be able to recognize the truth from a lie. And if we just go off on our own speculations, then that's what we'll end up with is our own speculations. So we see the tragedies of this life, and God is showing us what's behind these things. How do we understand our hardships? What's to be our response? How are we to respond in the days of, of difficulty? And Revelation helps us. Even how do you respond in days of wealth? One of the churches are told, you're very rich. Look at all the money you got around you. But I'm telling you, you are poor, pitiable, weak, wretched. You know, so you can't go by what you see materially. This physical blessing is no guarantee that God is blessing you uh, because of how good you're doing. And poverty is, doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. He, he has you in such a time as this to respond to him and to glorify his name with whatever circumstance. And Paul says the exact same thing. I've learned the secret to being content in all circumstances. And the secret is um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He means all things. Being rich, being poor, health, sickness, all these things. I can things through Christ who strengthens me. So Revelation helps us to answer the question. Several of the seven churches were doing well. And they needed encouragement. But the one that we talked about even is dead, about to die. And the Spirit is still speaking to that church, though, which is a promise. And after the letter, John says, each of the letters of the churches, he says, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so that's a over and over again. So as we're listening to the book of Revelation, as you're listening to anything in the Bible, what is the Spirit saying to the churches? And we can become very um, self-centered, individualistic, especially in the United States, but God intends for us to be communal in the church. The church, made up of the saints. But you're also seen as individual believers. You come to the table individually, but it's us who come to the table we make up the church. And then the last church that I mentioned, if you look at um, chapter 3, verse 17, it's something we need to be reminded of. Chapter 3, Revelation three seventeen, He speaks to this church and he says, You say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, pitiable poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. And white garments, so you may clothe yourselves, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, what door is that? It just it sounds like he's outside the door of your church. He's back there. Anybody want to let me in? 
You know, it's like, and he says this, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So we also see this door is our hearts. It's a letter to the churches. To the one who conquers, I'll grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down at my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And after this, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. So it goes from the door that's closed to a door that's open in heaven. And all you have to do is respond, and you have these doors that are open to us, and we have this revelation that we have before us. So then we're taken up, and we're shown the grand throne room scene where Jesus takes the throne with his Father. He's declared worthy to open the scrolls. He has the scroll that's sealed with the seven seals, and he opens the seven seals, and he's worshipped. And the seals are open, revealing the spiritual realities behind the troubles of this world and how it affects the church, but how it affects the world. We see false prophets, wars, famines, pestilences, all sorts of death that's taking place. And they're all happening due to God's judgment on sin in the world. We're living in our cursed and fallen world. So then we're to say, well, what of the church? How are we to respond to these things? Are we protected from these things? Because we know Christians also die from these things. Christians get caught up into these things. We're not protected, certainly, from many of these physical um, maladies and pestilences and wars that come into the world. You know, or maybe God doesn't love us, or maybe God's not in control. And this is some of the things that a non-believer will say. Look at all these things. God's not good. God's not in control. A good God wouldn't do that. It's like, wow, you're so judgmental over God. That's sort of, how do you know that? You don't know. You don't know what's really going on. And the Revelation is saying, let me tell you what's really going on. He's demonstrating the fact that, one, he is in total control, that he is right to judge people, especially as we see get to the trumpet judgments, and they won't even repent, and all they do is be hardened over the difficulties that happen in this life. So we have these seals that are taking place, and there's all this death that takes place in the world. You get to the fifth seal, and we're in Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. And so if you look at chapter 6, verse 9, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then they were each given a white robe, told to rest a little longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So as we looked at this, it's actually, in, in a way, it's not just people who are uh, martyred for their faith, but it's all believers throughout all time who have died to this world and are persecuted in, in different ways, but particularly those who have suffered the most or are the first to be crying out, you know, oh, Lord, how long? So what's going on behind this what's the deal with the church in heaven while all this is going on what you know what are our what are those who've gone before us what are they doing in heaven floating around in clouds or something well according to this the in apocalyptic literature they're up there crying they're they're like say not okay crying out because <laughs> we're here and we're like god when are you gonna set things right what's the deal where's justice we want justice well those in heaven vindicate this we're, this needs to come to an end. We're ready for the, you know, Lord, please, God, how long, how long, how long? He's like, 
just a little longer until the complete number comes in. Now, does that mean that you have a loved one in heaven and all they're doing is just is looking and crying and doing these things? Well, no, you know that in heaven is your presence of the Lord. They see things from an eternal perspective. They're not up there crying out like we do from here in pain. They're up there seeing sovereign Lord. Bring about your purposes. With smiles on their faces and glory on the ready. Bring about your purposes. But we also know, as we'll see, um, God takes no pleasure in the, the, the death of the wicked. So there's a certain bitterness to the cry, but justice needs to be done for God's holiness to be upheld and for righteousness to be upheld. So we see these, the seal, and we see a glimpse as there's what's going on with the saints in heaven. We get a glimpse of it. They're praying for righteousness to reign. And then you get to the sixth seal, at 617. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? In the world, judgment day, who can stand? And then what you'll see is, um, you see the church standing before the throne. They're the ones that can stand. Those who are sealed in chapter 7, those are the ones who are able to stand. Who can stand during the day of, their, of Jesus' wrath? And it's the church, and it's only the church that will be able to stand during this time. But then there's a pause, because you've got the seventh seal that's coming. The seventh seal, the seventh trumpet, the seventh bowl, all these sevens that are like, we're going to look at it again, we're going to look at it again from different perspectives. And you get that seventh one, that's like the consummation. That's like, okay, heaven now, heaven's coming down. There's like this glory in heaven. So sixth seal, you get this judgment, and then the final judgment, and the seventh seal is like, this is what they call the consummation. Everything, this is the good stuff. But there's always this little pause that they put in between these places. And in 7-1, there's this pause for, for, the, for the sealing of God's people. And as you see, the 144,000 represented by Israel. But you look in verse 9, I looked at that 144,000, and behold, it's actually a great multitude that no one can number from every nation, all the tribes, all the peoples, all the languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. For who can stand before him? These guys, us, clothed in white robes, palm branches in their hand, worshiping the Lord God. So there's this pause. And then verse 7, um, 15 through 17. Um, Therefore they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. He who sits on the throne will shelter them in his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lord is in the midst of the throne and will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's, that's beautiful. That's what awaits us. So the physical torments of this world may well affect us, but if we conquer and remain faithful, we have discomfort. That awaits us. So then we get to the chapter 8, the seventh seal, and there's verse 1 the Lamb opens seventh seal, there's silence in heaven for about half an hour. So we talked about that, you know, it's just half an hour is a short period of time, it's not a full period of time. And it's because, you know, these are, <laughs> you just got a glimpse of heaven, and this is going to be this thing that's going to happen forever, but then what 
we see is like, wait a minute, we're going to take you back and we're going to show you something from another perspective. We're going to show you the trumpets, these warnings that are happening throughout the world. We've, we've seen what's going on in the world and how the churches respond and how the church is sealed and protected and they're praying in heaven. But now we're going to see there's trumpet warnings that are taking place. It's trumpets in the Bible always are warnings and calls to God's people to gather together. And so we have the, these trumpets and the, we see the world, the earth, physical things happening on the world, a demonic attack on non-believers that are happening. So as Paul writes, the God of this world's blind their eyes to keep them from seeing the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So that's what you know, God uses, the demonic hordes, to come forth to attack people who are not God's people. We're sealed, and they're told, don't harm the believers, they can only harm the first ones. You can torture the believers and the non-believers. And then the second is like, now you can kill the non-believers. So you have this, this demonic activity. So would you see evil rising up and become more and more powerful, more and more prevalent in the world? Historically, what we see that tends to start to happen, not only does, does good end up prevailing in some way, but also evil begins to turn on itself. And, and it's just... You know, you know, if you're if you if you have a, a band of fellows and they're all evil, um, there's no honor among thieves. It's like you better be careful and watch your back. Pretty much every movie you've ever seen where somebody has hired people to help them steal all the money, it's like, you know, somebody's about to get shot. Okay, I need you to open the vault. Done. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and so if you're the next guy that's supposed to help him get out, it's like. <laughs> You better start thinking these things through. So that evil is its own worst enemy. And it, God uses this in such a powerful way that it, it's hard for us to understand. Um, our role is to be light. Our role is to, to respond in love and mercy and kindness. And it's a way that Satan just can't get his head around how to possibly deal with these things in this way. And that's part of how we're sealed is we're given the Holy Spirit. And that's an important thing. So we have these six trumpet blasts. And then the next one is going to end it all. The dead will be judged. The believers rewarded. But first, before the seventh trumpet happens, when we finally get to chapter 11, verse 14, there's another pause. Just like the one that we saw with the seals, where it's like, okay, wait a minute. There's a, there's a ceiling of the 144,000 that's going to happen before the last day. So that all these things are happening, we're going to protect God's people. And we see what's happening with the church in heaven. But what we see here in chapter 10 is this other pause. And what we're seeing is the work of the church on earth. So with the seals, church in heaven, and there's a ceiling. But now you have the sealed saints on earth. And what are we supposed to be doing now? So we pause. And he's going to show us. What it is we're supposed to be doing, or what should we be doing in this time? So 10, chapter, chapter 10, verse 1, I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. Now this comes from Ezekiel chapter 1, and we're going to do it real quick. And then when we find Ezekiel, just, it's going to be easier if we just put a bookmark there, and we'll flip back to it in just a minute. And I would love just to say, hey, Ezekiel says this, and Ezekiel says that without turning, but I think you need to see that this isn't just something that we're making up because, you know, we need to know who is the mighty angel, what's, what's this represent, what's that scroll, and all these different things. So Ezekiel chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, 
and above the expanse of their heads there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance and upward from what had the appearance of his waist I saw as it were gleaming metal like the appearance of fire enclosed all around and downward from what had the appearance of the waist I saw as it were the appearance of fire that there was brightness around him like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain so was the appearance of the brightness all around such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord and when I saw it I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking so sort of put a bookmark there and you see this is a, a, the, the glory of the Lord this is what he's seeing. seeing an angel and we know in the Old Testament the angel of the Lord appears at times and we're pretty convinced that this most likely is Yahweh himself this is the son of God that's appearing as the angel of the Lord he's called um, so it's not wrong to call Jesus an angel at times because he is not one of the created angels, but angel means a messenger. And the angel of the Lord, we'll see too, um, there's a little bit more where he says, um, I put my name in him. But this angel does certainly, he's a good angel. He's coming down from heaven. He's not thrown down from heaven. He's coming down, and he looks and sounds a lot like descriptions of Jesus and the glory of the Lord. Some commentators, you read through this, some theologians are like, this is clearly Jesus Christ. Other commentators are like, this is clearly not Jesus Christ, but an angel representing Jesus Christ. I was like, so quit saying it's clear then, because you're not exactly sure. And this is one of those places where I'm like, I don't think this, one, I don't think, it, I don't think it's good to take each symbol and say this is exactly what it is if it says it's the lion of the tribe of Judah the lamb slain this is clear we're talking about Jesus this sounds so much like descriptions of the glory of God and Jesus Christ himself that it could very well be Jesus but it just in my mind I think this is a mighty angel that's coming down and it's it, it representing Jesus Christ and his glory but for you know what it means it really doesn't make that I hate to say it doesn't make that much of a difference but this is in a vision that's taking place in verse 2 he says he had a little scroll in his hand and open in his hand and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land now what's happening here is this angel has authority and power over the entire world okay it's coming down from heaven and which foot do they do first Right foot on the sea, left foot on the land. And he's obviously large, <laughs> he's, and he controls everything. He's dominant over the world. And it's something that we definitely need to recognize. Revelation 12, 17 talks about the dragon. And it says, and he, the dragon... And this is part of the false trinity that Satan tries to get us to believe in. He, the dragon, stood on the sand of the sea. Now that's interesting. It's like, you know, here's this angel of God. He's standing on the land. He's standing on the sea. And the dragon's on the sand of the sea. And then you have the beast come rising up out of the sea. And another beast comes rising up out of the earth. It's like they're not standing on it. They're, the, the, the dragon's on, you know, slippery sand he's on sand he's on a rock but the angel is here he's he's on this rock and again satan just appearing to try to be the power that he is not satan and his demons are powerful but they are pretenders 
to the throne. So he has this verse 2, a little scroll, and it's open in his hand. So we know the other scroll that we saw is this large scroll, seven seals. It was sealed. Jesus opened it up, and this one appears to be something a little different. But he has this scroll that's written, and he calls out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. We heard Psalm 29, 26, what was it, 20, 20, 29 that you read this morning? <laughs> so The voice of the Lord thunders over many waters. There's a voice of the Lord. So the voice of the Lord here is like a lion roaring, and lions in the Bible are typically judgment-type things, but also power. And so the lion is roaring, and when he calls out, the seven thunders sounded. So we've got seven seals, we have seven trumpets, we're going to have seven bowls, and we've got these seven trumpets. And when the seven trumpets had sounded, I was about to write, but then I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. So then, you know, immediately what we want to do is to say, I've got to figure out what the seven thunders said. I need to know what those seven thunders said. What are those seven thunders? We need to look at the seven thunders. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to get it. He sealed it. What are you going to do? Make stuff up. You need to have this memorized. Where it is and what it says. Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. There are secret things in the Bible, and they belong to the Lord. There are things God has not revealed. Don't go beyond the revealed will, the revealed word of Jesus Christ. You get into these speculations, and the worst speculations I ever heard was at seminary, after you've been there all day, and you're tired and wore out, and you're at the vending machine, and you start talking theology. And man, there's some crazy stuff that came out of our mouths, because you're just talking. And you had to be careful with such things, because you can fall into the the violation of taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So if you're trying to explain things that the Lord has not revealed, you're trying to say secret things that God has not revealed, you're going beyond the written word, then you're just speaking in vain. It's vanity, and that's a violation of God's word. You need to be very careful of such things, because unless you know his word well, you aren't quite sure when you've gone beyond it. And you might be surprised at how much more God has revealed in his word and at one point, I was thinking, yeah, it said, you know, gosh, if there are these charismatic gifts, you can speak in tongues, and you can do all these things, I, I want that. I don't want to miss out on anything. I want to be able to hear directly from God. So what God told me was, <laughs> in some way, you through with this already, are you? You've, you've, you've understood all this, have you? No, no. So keep digging in the Word, preaching in the Word. My Word is sufficient. Don't go beyond it. Dig into it. There's more there than we can ever get through. I promise you we could preach on chapter 10. Maybe it might seem like we're going to do it forever today, but we're, we're going to get through this. But you could, there's an infinite number of sermons that could be preached on this. All application directly from what his word is saying. That there are things. So when we're talking about especially end times things, man, be careful. I've got to find that book. 88 Reasons the World's Going to End in 1988. It's, it's, that's a good one. 
I've had so many people come up to me in the street in different times, festivals and things, and, you know, the, the world's going to end in October. I mean, this is a few years ago. I'm like, well, it doesn't. You're a false prophet. That's not good. No, no, no. It's going to end. It's like, you don't know. Don't go beyond the word of God. And this is something he's going to say here, too. So amazing that in the book of Revelation, we're told, don't say what's going on. Daniel has the same thing that happens to him. He says, seal it up until the end times. And then he gets to the time of the destruction of Jerusalem, and these things start to be revealed. This is what's going on. So there will be things toward the end that will start to go, and you're like, ah. I see. Our problem will be, oh, I read that in the paper today. That's the seven thunders. Just don't even do it. Don't even, don't, even, don't even try to do it. Stick with being faithful. So the angel who I saw standing on the sea and on the land, he raised his right hand to heaven. And we still do that in courtrooms today. A hand on the Bible, right hand to God. This is one place you see it. Right hand to heaven. And he swears by him who lives forever and ever. And remember, where is that dragon? He's on the sand of the sea. The beast is coming up out of the earth. The beast is coming up out of the sea. And I am swearing here, the angel says, to he who created heaven and what's in it. He created the earth and what's in it. He created the sea and what's in it. And he swears. So he's the creator of these things. And what does he swear? There will be no more delay. And so if you read the King James, he says that there should be time no longer. And that sounds very ominous there. That's like, man, in the time. But that's, that's not what it means. What it means is he's saying the word is chronos, where you get the chronology is your timeline, the chronometer is a watch. He's just saying the way they've worded it is there'll be no more delay. And that's what that means. There's not going to be more time. This is it. Time has run out. Seventh trumpet comes, that's going to be it. I'm going to answer the prayers of the saints. Revelation 2.21 says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. I gave her chronos. I gave her time to repent. And the angel is saying there is going to be a time when there's no more time. There's not going to be time to repent. There's not going to be time to respond. There's not going to be time to, to do more. In 6.11, with the martyrs under the altar in heaven... He tells them, rest a little longer. And in Greek, it's rest, chronon, micron. <laughs> micron, chronon, a little longer. A little time. It's a little time. I'm swearing to heaven, no more time. Seventh trumpet sounds, it's coming, and no more time. There will be no delay. And in verse 7, in the days of the trumpet, but in the days of the trumpet to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. And that's the mystery of God. See that Paul talks about the mystery. Daniel um, talks about the mystery being revealed to him. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He wouldn't tell anybody what the dream was. Or you, you got to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And then Daniel says he shared the mystery to me. God told me the mystery, which is something that's revealed by God. And so when we see the mystery of God being fulfilled in the New Testament, the mystery of God is talking about the gospel. All the purposes of God. What God has been doing the whole time through Jesus Christ and his church is going to come to a fulfillment just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And in verse 8, Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again. He says, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand who is <coughs> of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. 
go and take the scroll that's open in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll, and he said to me, take and eat it. It'll make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it'll be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from his hand, I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth that when I'd eaten it, my stomach was bitter. That's weird. So it's like, guess what? We go to Ezekiel again. And let's look at Ezekiel chapter 2. So if you kept your bookmark there, it won't take long. Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8. God is talking to Ezekiel in chapter 2, verse 8. And he says, But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And when I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me. And it had written on the front and the back, and there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, everything you find here, eat, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said, Son of man, feed your belly that this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate, and it was in my mouth, mouth as sweet as honey. And then chapter 3, verse 14. The Spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit and the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. And then we go to Ezekiel 21, 6. Behold the princes, I'm sorry, 21, 6. As for you, son of man, groan with breaking heart and bitter grief, groan before their, their eyes. And I said, why do you groan? And you shall say, because of the news that's coming. Every heart will melt, and all hands will be feeble. Every spirit will faint, and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming, and it will be fulfilled, declares the Lord God. And then go back to chapter 18, verse 30, Ezekiel 18, 30. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, declares the Lord. Repent, turn from all your transgressions, lest iniquity be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. And so we have the scroll in the book of Revelation being given to John, just as it was to a similar scroll given to Ezekiel. But now John has this. And in verse 11, he's also told, you must again prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And so what's this scroll? And it's obviously, it has, it has things written on it. It's a scroll that's open. It's the word of God. It's, it's what he's supposed to prophesy. And we're told, so what is the church doing now in this pause? On earth, in heaven to pray. On earth, what are you doing? You eat this scroll. Because how's John going to prophesy to the nations? He's stuck on Patmos. He's, he's not going anywhere. But this letter is, Spirit of God does, seven spirits before the throne of God, it goes. 
We're going to see later Satan being bound, can no longer deceive the nation. Spirit blows where it will. China, everything it can, stomp out the church. Man, the church is strong in China. Muslim dominant countries can't even talk about, can't even say their names where missionaries are there and doing things. Gospel spreading like crazy. Country devoted to the worship of Satan. Haiti. Gospel. Trip over people and they won't know about Jesus. Crazy. It's very frustrating to come back here, try to evangelize with the same exuberance and people just look at you you know with a hand out rather than a heart out and you can get rather discouraged but what he's saying is eat the word he didn't know it my granddad gave me a bible when i was younger because i wanted the niv i did not want to have to keep reading king james i wanted niv and my granddad's like I don't know about all these new translations and all this stuff, but my boy, my grandson wants it. I guess he wants a Bible. I'd give him a Bible. <laughs> so he, but he wrote it. Read it, love it, live it. That's what's in it. Read it, love it, live it. And I was like, that's cool. And that's, that's what we're going to do. Eat it. Consume it. Make it a part of who you are. This is the word you give to the world. This is what the church is supposed to be doing. Testimony. And it can be translated, you must prophesy against many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. I think it's the word epi in Greek, and it can be translated different ways. And I just think God puts words in Greek, and sometimes it's like it can be taken this way, or it can be taken that way, or it can be taken that way. It's like any means maybe for it to be taken in all those ways. You're going to prophesy, how is this sweet? Is the gospel message sweet in your mouth? I mean, Psalms talk about it. Jeremiah eats it. It's sweet. It's supposed to be sweet. It's the sweetest thing, like honey to the believer. It's supposed to be the Word of God. This is supposed to be the thing that we just, you crave it. You know, the low-carb thing, you know? Sugar is terribly addictive. <laughs> sweet things. That bread right there is good bread. I don't eat that kind of bread usually. <laughs> the wine's a little sweet, too, because when you don't eat sweet things much, sweet, sure. I tasted dry wine. And I was like, dry wine's the nastiest thing I ever tasted in my life. And the lady told me, she said, you've been on a low-carb diet, right? I said, yes. She said, try it again. So I tasted it. It's the sweetest stuff. I could taste the sugar in it. I was like, crazy. If we have been fed by the world for long enough, and we get tired of it, and we recognize, oh, we talked about, you know, COVID. was one of the things you get with COVID, Billy. Can't smell, can't taste. <laughs> how sweet things taste, how awesome things taste. When it comes back, Malcolm, they, you de dealt with it too. And you're like, you can't, you said, how'd you put it? It's one of the worst things in the world, not to be able to taste anything. It's like, there's no joy in eating anymore. Imagine somebody that sits through church and they have no joy in listening to this. This is a dadgum 45, sorry. This is a 45-minute long lecture about something to do with the Bible, and I can't wait till we're done with it. If that's you, come on. <laughs> The sweetness of the Bible. Spend time with the Word. You, you got to recognize you do a 10, 15, 20 minute sermon, you, you, you're not getting anything much. And if this is the only time you get any of it, I can't understand why you're not eating food when you're leaving from here, too. And the world needs it. And it becomes a bitterness because you start to share the gospel, a couple of things happen. One, you're like Paul. I wish I could be cut off for the sake of my brothers. You know, and they're, they're perishing. And there's nothing I can do about it except preach the word and do myself. Spurgeon said, throw it, we should at least, if people are going to go to hell, it should be over our bodies being cast in front of the door. Doing all that we can 
family members, children, parents, friends, family, for all intents and purposes, they're going to hell. But the seventh trumpet hasn't sounded yet. Their life isn't over yet. There's still hope. There's still time. There are nations that are hearing that still need to hear. We need to go. We need to send. We need to at least support and pray for people who are, who are going and doing these things. But the bitterness also is there will be persecution as a result. And that's what we're going to see in the coming chapters of Revelation too. The sweet sweetness they're trying to give to people. And they don't want to, and it just causes sorrow to come upon you. So it becomes bitter because people aren't repenting and they're attacking. But it doesn't take away from the sweetness. And if you don't understand the sweetness of the gospel and you haven't consumed it, you can't give it to anybody else. But it didn't take but a little bit. But you keep going, you keep going, you keep going. So that as you reach the age of maybe live as long as Stan over here, I don't know. <laughs> and like Stan, you had the glory, and Jerry, you got the glory of the Lord shining from your faces. <laughs> You've been with the Lord for so long. And that's what, what we want and hope for. And then he tells us, and you can't help but to see the comparison here, take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Covenantal remembrance. And he sees a rainbow. He remembers his promise. He didn't forget it. He's bringing it full force again. You know, the pastor one day saying, you know, the Lord just exalts in the monotony. Doing it again. Doing it again. Sun comes up every day. Let's do it again. It's like a kid. You're playing with a kid. You pick him up. Put him down. Do it again, Dad. Do it again, Dad. Do it again, Dad. He says, the Lord exalts in the monotony of the everyday things and we've just grown old and we bore too easily and so he says I am yours I will not abandon you yea though I walk through the valley of shadow of death I fear no evil your eye and staff are with me you're with me I go into all the world make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and lo I am with you to the end of the age I am with you and I am in you and when the gospel message is received by faith this is what you get. Jesus Christ, united to us by faith. A little more him, a little more hope, a little more faith, a little more courage, a little more ability to survive the things that we go through. So we see a chaotic world we're recognizing. It's nothing but a roaring lion seeking who he can devour, and he's a liar. The gospel is sweet. The gospel is powerful. It is the power of God unto salvation. Let's pray. Father God, you told John, take the scroll eat you tell us take and eat or help us to be zealous for the consumption of your word that it be sweet in our in our mouths and we know there's a bitterness lord but you're in control of it all the bitterness has purpose too so we pray that you would help us to to triumphantly exuberantly approach your throne proclaim throughout the world not to be afraid like people who have refused to take the vaccine or they get fired we pray that people would be that zealous in sharing the gospel or they get fired. That we would be willing to stand up for gospel proclamation, even in light of a culture that's telling us we need to stop. Help us to boldly, lovingly, and in creative ways, share your gospel, your word, with a world that's dying, but in you... There's renewal. We are light. We are salt. Help us to see these things clearly. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen.